You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. This is our uh, third week of Advent, working our way towards uh, the, uh, a dedicated time of celebration and reflection and worship of Jesus for coming near to us in the flesh. Our aim this season um, is that you would be full of joy, that, that joy would, would fill the followers of Jesus, that our joy would be full, as Jesus says in John 15. That our joy would be full. So that's our aim, is that you would be full of joy. Not faking it, not just putting on a good face because your mom's around and it's Christmas time. But there would be deep, genuine, overflowing joy welling up inside of us. And so the way we're pursuing joy in Jesus as we move towards Christmas is we're looking at and trying to stack up, if you will... Uh, these graces, grace upon grace upon grace that we've received in Jesus. We read John chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago that from the fullness of Christ, we have each received grace upon grace. Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 10 and this amazing reminder that Jesus came to serve us by giving himself as a ransom for us, ransoming us from sin and death, calling us to follow him as our ultimate and perfect servant. Today we're going to be in John chapter 3. So you can turn your Bibles uh, to John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, some folks are coming around and can get you one. We're going to read a little bit about this interaction that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. So go ahead. John chapter 3 is where we will be. And as you're turning to John 3... Let me just give you a little context, and then we'll just read a few verses together. You'll see this name, uh, Nicodemus. Probably not one that many of you have added to your list of possible baby names, but it's still a good one. Nicodemus is a, uh, is a prominent rabbi, a teacher in Israel. Uh, he is a, he's a very formal, religious, orthodox, Jewish leader. He's a leading member of the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin, and Nicodemus is of the group of the Pharisees, part of the religious group that, that holds to a strict adherence to the law of Moses among the more formally religious and scholarly of the day. Now, Nicodemus hears the things that Jesus has been saying, and he sees the things that Jesus has been doing, the miraculous signs, the, the healing of the sick, and the, the sight for the blind, and he hears the teaching coming out of Jesus' mouth, and he is curious. So he comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus sits down with Nicodemus and kind of blows his mind a little bit with what he has to say. John records the interaction for us. Let's read a few verses for us. We're going to read John chapter 3, verses one through 15. It'll be on the screen as well. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. <clears throat> now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, if you remember, if you've been with us, we're trying to stack up graces here during Advent. So the big idea, the grace that I want us to stack up today on top of the ones we've looked at already is this, that Jesus was born so that you and I could be born again. Jesus was born so that you and I could be born again. And as we look at John 3 to kind of unpack this, I'm asking three questions as I look at the text. So here's the questions that we're going to look at to kind of unpack what I just said and find our answers in John 3. One, what does Jesus say? It'd be good to go to the source. What does Jesus actually say? Two, what does Jesus' birth have to do with our new birth? And three, the third question is then, what grace is ours? What grace is ours? What's our, what do we take from this idea that Jesus was born so that we could be born again? Let's look at that first question. What does Jesus say here in John 3? Before we get into Jesus being born and how Advent connects to this passage, let's just make sure we understand what Jesus is saying here, and then I think we'll see how it connects together. Simply, Jesus says, John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, in our passage alone, there are a few of these statements where we read in our Bibles, truly, truly. Some translations, it's verily, verily. Essentially, where we, when we see that repeated phrase, when Jesus comes out of Jesus' mouth, when he says, truly, truly, he's saying this, I'm telling you the sincere truth. Listen up, Jesus is saying, what comes next is sure and solid. I'm telling you the truth. And then Jesus says this. What's the truth that Jesus says? Unless you're born again, or, or better translated almost, unless you're born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, now remember, Nicodemus, as far as we can tell, is a faithful Jewish rabbi. He knows the law. 
and the prophets. He sees the works of Jesus and he is very curious. That's why he comes to him one-on-one. He sees the lame walk and the blind see, and he probably recalls, because he's probably a a good rabbi from what we can tell, he probably recalls when he sees what Jesus is doing and hears what Jesus is saying, he probably recalls the words of Isaiah that Jesus himself read when he opened his ministry and stood in the synagogue and opened the scroll and he reads this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Nicodemus sees these things happening and recalls, likely, recalls the words of Isaiah that these are the things that accompany the promised Savior of God's people. And so he's curious. I'm seeing the things that are supposed to accompany the Savior. I'm going to go talk to this. Jesus, guy. There's an expectation that these are the things that they would hope to see. That if God's going to save us, these are the things that, that we're going to see in our, with our own eyes and hear with our own ears. And Nicodemus gets it right. I know that you're from God. I know there's something about you, Jesus. He calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. So he, he puts Jesus almost on the same playing field as him. He doesn't come in as like, I'm important, Rabbi. You're, you know, lowly, backwater, backwater hit guy. He says, no, no, teacher of Israel, Rabbi, I know you're from God. I know you're from God because nobody can do what you're doing unless God's with him. And what does Jesus say? Well, you're seeing some things, Nicodemus. That's good, I suppose. But, but let me just remind you that in order to see In order to to truly experience the kingdom of God, something's got to happen to you, Nicodemus. You have to be born again. Born from above. I think Jesus is saying to move from adjacent, to move from observer to participant in the kingdom, from outsider to insider, To move from alien to citizen in the kingdom of God. You you can't just see the effects of the kingdom. You can't just be familiar with the teaching of the kingdom. Something needs to happen to you from above. There's a spiritual reality that Jesus says is necessary. You must be born again. Now, We don't have time this morning to do a super deep dive into the doctrine of regeneration, but I will say a couple things. First, if you want to do a little bit more of a deep dive, shameless plug, in 2019 we did a series on our our statement of beliefs, and we actually did a whole week on this, and so you can find all that stuff if you'd like to do a deep dive on some of the things we've taught previously. We'll put a link in our weekly update, James, it's called the weekly update. Um, so that's the first part. There's, there's more there um, in terms of resources that you can do a little deeper dive into. But, but, but for this morning, the, the main thing I want to emphasize is that phrase, uh, truly, truly, I'm telling you the truth. And the other phrase that Jesus says, you, you must. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. You must be born from above. Now we're going to look at the second part first, the must part. First thing, when we're asking the question, what is Jesus saying, is he saying that new birth is necessary? 
There is no other way into the kingdom of God. There's no side door. There's no second list to accomplish. There's one way into the kingdom, Jesus says, and it is through being born from above. You must be born from above. Period. And I just want to be really clear on this. We have every indication that Nicodemus was a good man according to any metric. He was righteous according to the law of Moses, at least as righteous and good as a man can be on his own. He was devout, he was faithful, he was well-respected, likely a man of integrity and honor, and none of that opened the door for Nicodemus to enter the kingdom of God. None of it. And it is, this, it is the same and it is true for every human being on the planet. If you want in to Jesus' kingdom, he says, you, you must be born from above. The reality is, God has to do something an act from heaven in you to transform your soul, to bring life to you who currently has no life. Now, just with a quick show of hands, how many of you chose where and when you were born? Like physically? Nobody? I should hope not. That's weird right? How many of you chose your parents or the circumstances of your birth? Like you were born in a hospital, you were born uh, in the car on the way to the hospital, right? No, none of you, right? Not one of us chooses that and picks it, right? And so Jesus makes this interesting comparison that spiritual birth is like physical birth in a way, Something outside of you sets the parameters of your physical birth, right? We don't have to get into that. It just is. You didn't pick it. And in like manner, God in his sovereign grace is at work to birth in you spiritual life from above. That's the comparison Jesus makes. Notice what Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus. He doesn't say you must be born from within. He doesn't say that. You don't have it in you, if I can say it that way. You must be born from above. But once the Spirit is at work, then you actually have something within you. The Spirit then within you. But first, you must be born from above. And I just want to have this straight as we look at the first advent of Jesus. That Jesus, being born in the flesh... We understand what he's talking about when he starts to compare physical birth to spiritual birth. If you want salvation, if you want to know God as your Father, if you want to live as citizens in God's eternal kingdom, Jesus says you must be born from above. Now Nicodemus, in in our section of Scripture here, is kind of taken aback. He doesn't quite get the connection. His first thought is like, well, how, how can someone be born a a second time. He's still thinking in the physical world about birth. And he's like, this, I've been around the block. I know how this works. That's not going to happen. Right? You can't just go back into your mother's womb and be born again. That's just weird. And Jesus says, and he uses this phrase again, truly, truly, we speak of what we know and what we have seen, and yet you do not receive our testimony. So Jesus is highlighting all of his work so far. 
all of his words, all of his teaching about the kingdom. He's proving the power of the kingdom in miraculous ways. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus do things that just completely transform people's lives. Healing the lame and the blind and raising the dead to life. He's proving the power of the kingdom. And most of the people who should be expectant and excited, Jesus, their Messiah, the one who's fulfilling everything that was told to us from Isaiah and others, he's come. These people who should be excited, should be ready, are not. And Jesus just highlights that for Nicodemus. And then he points to himself that it's the Son of Man, the one who has come from heaven to earth, is the one who is the mediator now, the one who is sent from above. And then he says, and then the Son of Man, at the end of our passage, must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. See, those who are born again are born from above, and the fruit of that is change of heart. It's believing in and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. So, so, so Jesus says here in John 3 that salvation only comes by believing in him, the Son of Man, and that in order to believe, you're going to need your heart to be radically transformed, and that power doesn't come from within you, it comes from above. Pastor and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, no man can make himself a Christian, God alone makes Christians. By the way, highly recommend my homeboy MLJ. Right? So the first answer to our, the, the answer to our first question of what is Jesus actually saying here is this. Jesus is simply saying that in order to enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. We must be born again. Which you might say is a really great theological exercise, and I might be really interested in debating the nuances of that with you, Jake, at some point. But what does that have to do with Advent Well, just like I said at the beginning, in order for us to be born again, I'm going to argue that Jesus had to be born, which leads to the second question from our text. What does Jesus' birth that we celebrate at Christmas, what does Jesus' birth in the flesh have to do with us being born again or our new birth? My argument is that we are born again through the birth of the Son, and this really gets to the heart of our big idea. Jesus had to be born in the flesh so that you and I could be born again from the Spirit. And so there's two parts to this. First is Jesus, who is the uncreated one. That's part one. And two, he was born into creation. So we're going to let our minds be blown a little this morning. Jesus, the uncreated one, was born into creation. Let's look at the first part. We talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the fullness of Jesus. We're going to dial into it a little here as well. I think for us to have a full and a biblical doctrine of God, a full and a robust doctrine of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, we need to make sure we understand the biblical truth that Jesus, the Son, along with the Father and the Spirit, is eternal and uncreated. It's like Doctrine of God 101. In fact, in 325 AD, faithful Christians from all around the globe gathered at the Council of Nicaea to affirm together the faith that they held in common and that 
to, to make sure what we are teaching and believing and living is in line with the witness of the scriptures that we have and with the witness of the apostles and the prophets. That we are holding to the faith for all once delivered to the saints. Now this is just a few generations after Jesus Christ is uh, resurrected and ascended. And one of the primary pieces of doctrine at the Council of Nicaea was about the divinity of Jesus. Was he fully God and fully man or was he something else? Now, at the time there was a bishop from Egypt named Arius and he held the position that Jesus was not equal with the Father, that he was a created being, solely created. And his position was gaining steam in some circles. Tradition tells us that another bishop named Nicholas was listening to Arius and just got more and more angry with the false teaching that was coming out of his mouth, so much so that he stood up from his chair, marched down to where Arius was speaking, and punched him or slapped him. More commonly known as Saint Nicholas punched the heretic Arius in the face, or so tradition tells us. Now, church historians are a little wary, if I can use that phrase, a little wary to confirm this interaction happened exactly like this for a couple of reasons. One, Nicholas, by the way, was a real person and a real bishop at the time, and he held these positions clearly, theologically, outspoken against Arius and the like. Although they can't find Nicholas's name on the roster of the bishops who were at Nicaea, of the names that they kept in record. Now, he could have just slipped in, came in late and just slid in the back. Uh, maybe he didn't write his name down. I have no idea. I wasn't there. But, but scholars are a little unsure whether or not he was there or there for the entire time. Doesn't mean he wasn't there. Just means they're not completely sure. And, and so it kind of has gathered a little bit of a mythology around it that Nicholas came, got upset with Arius, and punched him in the face. So it's possible that it's a little more legend and myth than it is reality, but it does make for good memes. My favorite one is the middle one, where it's St. Nicholas who says, I came to give presents to children and to slap heretics, and I'm all out of presents. <laughs> right? Ultimately, the Council of Nicaea produced a creed that affirmed what the church, on the whole, had been believing since the time of Jesus, and was consistent with the prophets and the apostles. The Nicene Creed is one of the oldest and most solid creeds in the history of the church. And it, it goes like this. On the doctrine of God and of Jesus Christ the Son, the Nicene Creed says this. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And then speaking of Jesus, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. They intentionally draw a distinction between the word begotten and the word made, and they do that on purpose. Now, in English, we sometimes use those words synonymously, but Nicaea made it clear that the God the Son is of one substance, one being, one essence with God the Father and God the Spirit. He was not made. And he came down 
from heaven and was incarnate, infleshed. Carne, meat, in, in, right? And that's the second part of this, that the uncreated one was born. The eternal son, the uncreated one, was born. The humanity of Jesus was made. So, so if we can understand it this way, and, and this might be a simple way to do it, and we've got to be careful not to just fall off into making bad analogies. The God of the God-man is not made. And the man of the God-man was made, was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, a young Jewish woman who was betrothed to her husband Joseph and was made man. So why, why bother doing this little weird deep dive here? Here's why. In order for you and I to be born from above, something, or in this case someone, had to come from above and enter into creation so that those born down here might be able to partake of the life from above. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1. He, talking about Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That firstborn here is a title of authority and prominence. Not the first thing created. How do I know this? Because Paul keeps writing. Because he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, Paul writes, were created through him and for him. So, so Jesus created all things. He created them. Paul continues. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Did you see that? The one who created all things and then was born in human flesh, and as he told Nicodemus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. He was crucified on a cross, and Buried and raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then rose again, power, showing power over sin and hell and death itself. So as Paul says, so that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent. In everything, he might hold first place. In everything, he sits at the, the top. He holds first place among all humanity. Not only was he righteous in this life, a life fully pleasing to God, but even in his death, which he did not deserve, he holds first place because he defeated the curse of death. The one thing that you and I cannot escape on our own, Jesus himself defeated. In everything, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is preeminent. So, so in order for you and I to be born again, what Jesus says is necessary if we're to be saved, if we're to live, to citizen, live as citizens of his kingdom, in order for us to be born again, God the Son, who created all things, enters into creation so that he might be first and best, both above creation and within all of creation. So when you consider the picture of the baby Jesus in a manger, maybe at home on a shelf or, or on display somewhere as part of a Christmas display, don't forget the begotten, was born. Which moves us to our last question. What do we receive in this? We're stacking up grace upon grace that we receive in Jesus as we move through this season. 
So if God the Son is born in human flesh, if Jesus is born to us, what grace is ours? I said at the beginning, we're given the gift of regeneration. We're given a replacement of our hearts like we read from Ezekiel. Hearts of stone are removed and replaced with hearts of flesh. The new birth is a gift to be sure. But I want to zero in on the identity, this gospel identity that is ours in the new birth. If Jesus is born both as a child and he's first born, if you will, from among the dead, as Paul says, so that we might be born again, then what that means is that those who are born again, we are adopted. We are, we are called the children of God. One of the graces that we receive is that we are now children of God. Look at the words of, of John in 1 John chapter 3. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's the love of the Father that He sent the Son to be born, to save a people for Himself. The begotten was born. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man, in essence. And as Jesus tells Nicodemus, that Son will be lifted up pointing to his death. As we looked at last week, he came to serve and to be a ransom. So not only is the begotten one born, but also the Son of Man gives himself for men so that they might become sons. Think about that. The Son of Man gives himself for you and me that we might become sons. And that's part of the grace I want us to understand and to stack up here this morning. When I say Jesus is born so that you and I can be born again, just like we were born physically into the family in which you were born. I was born a Peterson. My children are born Petersons. We are spiritually born again as sons of the Father, co-heirs with Jesus, beloved children of God. This is a unique gift and identity for all those who've been born again. We get adopted There are some tangible shadows of the gospel that God gives us. We talk about it at weddings. We just talked about it last week at Danny and Orrin's wedding. Sorry, I'm just pointing you. There you are. Right? A husband is called to lay down his life for his bride. The bride is called to loving submission to her husband. And this is a shadow, a picture, Paul tells us, of Christ and his love for the church. As an aside... This is why it might be weird for you dudes in the room, but just hear me out. It is good for us to remember that we are collectively called the bride of Christ. This is not gender confusion. This is kingdom reality. Christ is the groom, the bridegroom, and the church is the bride for whom Jesus laid down his life. And it is our privilege and to our everlasting joy that we would be loved by Jesus and be called his bride. Don't let that be weird for you. And here in this passage, although it might be weird for some of you ladies in the room, it is good for us to remember that we are all sons of the Father. Again, not confusing Sons here, or gender here, kingdom reality. Why is this important? Because it's the son who's the recipient of all the authority and the inheritance of his father. And Jesus, the only worthy firstborn son, is born so that you and I could be made sons of the father. 
brothers with Christ Jesus and co-heirs to all his promises. Don't let this be weird for us. This is a beautiful reality. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, in the first birth, we're born to sin. But in the next, we're born to holiness. In the first, we're partakers of corruption. In the next, heirs of incorruption. In the first, depravity. In the second, perfection. This is the privilege of being adopted into the family. This is the grace that is ours in the new birth. The begotten one is born so that you could be born again. The Son of Man gives himself so that you might become a son. Now for us, Advent and Christmas tend to spark all kinds of feelings. Some of nostalgia, some of grief. It's not all bad. In fact, a lot of it's really good. But, but I, what I don't want, what we don't want is primarily just warm feelings and memories for you. What we want for you is something more, a deep and an abiding joy. A joy that is an anchor in times of trial or in grief. A joy that, is, that sustains you when you're weary, when you've spent all that you have and you don't know if you have any more to give. A joy that keeps you from despair and a joy that shows itself to be the obvious source for all the other good things that we have in our lives. That with all the other good gifts, they're just fruit from the tree of the gospel. Joy that is full in this life and joy that isn't merely contained to this world but looks forward to the world to come. We mentioned this just at the very beginning of this that when we look at Advent, there's, for us, there's a looking back, right? We're looking back at the birth of Christ who came to us. But we're not only looking back, we're also looking forward Listen to a little more from 1 John chapter 3 that I started to read earlier. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, John continues, we are God's children now. Hear this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Those who are born from above are God's children now and we will, what we will be has not yet appeared. It's coming. It's coming, but it's not here yet. But we know that when He appears, His second advent, we shall be like Him, John says, because we shall see Him as He is. At Jesus' second advent, our Lord and King will come as a groom coming to get His bride He'll come as our brother, coming to welcome us to the table to feast with our Father. That's what we're celebrating in the birth of Jesus. That's what we're seeing with our eyes now when we look at that little town of Bethlehem or that little manger scene. We're not seeing the manger or the sheep or the little boy in his drum. What we're seeing is that Jesus, the uncreated one, is born in human flesh so that you could be born again. Born to life in the Spirit now and hope for the glory of the life to come. 
Let's see Jesus coming to us as more than just this thing that He did. But that He did and is doing and is bringing about for His glory in the world to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You came to us. That when we weren't even searching for You, You sent Jesus at the right time to seek out and to save the lost. And we confess we would be utterly lost if not for you. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. For bringing life where there was death only in our hearts. For removing our hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh. Thank you for coming and being born, Lord Jesus, humbling yourself in such a way that we might be born from above. Thank you for adopting us, for choosing to make us part of your family, not reluctantly, not begrudgingly, but out of pure, genuine love. Would you cause our response to be one of worship and gratitude this morning? As we come to the table remembering that you, Lord Jesus, had to be lifted up, you came to be born and to die and to raise again to life, that we can have life. Would you continue to receive our worship this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.